Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and use the promo code HOUSE at checkout for 20% off your order and for free shipping. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy middle of spring. Happy almost May, whatever you want to call it. That's Will and I am Jake. Um, are we going to cry about the MLB season just yet? Are, are we going to hit the red panic button? Because I think it is irrational. Uh, I don't want to do it. If you want to do it, I'll go in on it with you, though. Panic button? Really? There's people that are panicking. I think it's totally unjustified. But people are panicking. Panic about what? Uh, the Yankees, mostly. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. MLB, <laughs> MLB season, though? I don't know. But Yankees, I wrote a, I mean, part of my Bronx tales. I was, I said... You know, losing two out of three to the Orioles in April shouldn't mean jack shit, but is it too soon to panic? Because last year, if you win one more of those games, you're hosting the wildcard game instead of Boston. You win mm. three more, you are not in a play-in game. So that is uh, kind of like, yes, it's early. It's I, early. I do but, hear your point. Yeah, I think it's if you lose two out of three to the Rays in April or the Blue Jays or the Red, or the Red Sox, you know what? Everyone's a good team. We'll yeah, figure you, it you out make later it up. On. We're going to be, we're going to be all 500 against each other. Anyway, you lose against the Orioles in September, a team or in um, April, a team that's about to lose a hundred games. No offense. Probably even more because John means is out for the season. They're only, oh, they're only competent pitcher. So you lose two of those games now. Yeah. Come September when it's like all of the AL East is supposed to be the exact same record. This bumps us down in the pecking order. Yeah. That's one you look back at and you're like, Hey, you'll, you lost to Baltimore two out of yeah. three times in April. Yeah. <laughs> that could be one where you're like, Oh shit. Three games back. Oh, that they beat the, they beat the O's. If they just swept them that series, they would have taken care of business. Well, one thing that was wild is the fact that if you look at like previous years, the winner of the AL East has been like a monster team against the Orioles. So if you go back to, so 2021, the Rays were 18 and one against the Orioles. They won the AL East. The year before that was the COVID year. They were six and four, still the best record against the O's. The year before that, 2019, is when the Yanks won. They were 17-2. and two. That was the year Glaber had like 50 home runs just against Baltimore. And then the year before that, the Red Sox were 16-3. and three. Last year, we were 11-8 and eight against the Orioles. 11-8. and eight. Ugh. That's disgusting. That's bad. They have nobody. And, of course, <laughs> the guy – now I'm getting riled up just about this. But the guy that put the, 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 the nail in the coffin – on that five nothing game on Easter Sunday was Rogan and Rugi Odor. I know, I know. I was just I was sitting on Easter Sunday watching that game, and I'm look at my grandfather. I'm like, John Sterling's probably freaking out over this about Rugi. The Ugh. Rangers were paying the Yankees to take Odor, and then for some reason Cashman's like, we don't need you for depth. Fuck that you can play your all around the infield, and fuck your lefty bat get out of here and that's what happened dick like i don't want to get too pissed about the yankees just yet. maybe we'll save it for the ball segment um you know I'm, I'm i'm definitely concerned i i'm not panicking but i'm concerned i'm concerned that this team sucks when aaron judge and john carlos stanton are swinging the bat and yeah. i i'm that's very concerning and it should it's, be for everybody it's constructed poorly <sighs> well Prayers, thoughts and prayers for sure. Uh, let's let's dive into our beer segment. Um, hard to think. We are done reviewing beer from Cincinnati live anyway. Um, it's hard to think because we made it like seven weeks. <laughs> um, we had a beer to review from Cincinnati from the day we came back on March 6th. And we've made it to what now? April 19th. And that's how far we've got. Yeah, um, I mean, I could still have beers to review from Cincinnati. Oh, really don't to. get us wrong. We can yeah. take individual beers. I'm talking about live conversations with people. Took us took us six weeks. Pretty good. 
Not bad. Um, Not bad. You're going to bring it back for your review. Uh, I was going to say stateside, like we were traveling in another fucking country, but you, uh, you're going to come back to the Northeast or you going, you going a little bit farther here. Um, I'm just looking on untapped. I'll do, I'll do Northeast. I'll do one that we haven't touched upon. Um, I, a few weeks ago or last weekend rather was in Boston and went to Barato brew house in Brighton, mass. I had a Brighton Hoppy number seven IPA, 7.1% classic standard New England IPA. It was hopped with Mosaic in Idaho. The reason I pointed it out though, was that brewery was very German influenced. So there was a lot of Kolsch's, a lot of wheat beers, alt beers, um, German styled menu. Like I had um, a sausage on a pretzel roll with sauerkraut. There was, there was a lot of German influence and some Asian influence as well, because there was like a special for crab rangoons and miso soup. So it was that kind of weird influence. So this was the only IPA they had on tap, which is kind of bold for a new England brewery. Yeah. Again, like we've seen people that that's, you know, that's what they're, they're going for. Brighton Hoppy number seven. I give it a three, seven, five out of five. Pretty decent, but I think it was elevated in my sense because they had such heavy German, German influenced, Eastern European influenced beers. Like there was a Czech Pilsner um, all across the board of just like those, those, those styles. So 3.75 out of five, I'll, I'll, I'll be nice to them, but it was, it was pretty solid. I, I get it. So I wrote down bright and hoppy but it's brighton like right the bright city hop. yeah, hoppy, yeah, yeah number seven i see what they did is it in brighton yeah it's right like it's a block or two away from the celtics practice facility oh shit it's like near boston landing then yeah yeah okay interesting brought to so, brew house i've got it at 190 north beacon street in boston um Decent, food, yeah, that, decent the, food, um, good atmosphere. It was the picture looks good. Friday. Yeah, looks very hazy, very hazy, it's very hazy. But again, I think it's at the point now, especially with this podcast, it's like you need to for a New England IPA, you really need to like knock my socks off to get rave reviews. I agree. And there's it's like, there's too it's many. It's not that it's undrinkable too, because it's, that, that's good, right? It's not just something. Oh, three, seven, five. Like right? I'd have it again. I'd have yeah. it again. Yeah. No. But you're just I, reaching I, for something else. Basically, it's just at this you know? point where it's like the gap is now so far wide where when we started this and we're just drinking casually, you know, this probably could have been a four, you know, mm, it, it easily yeah. could have been a four, but we're now at the point where you need to you know, white glove service me. This beer needs to, you know, take me out to dinner to get a four. This beer needs to have wings. Yeah, exactly. It needs to fly. It needs to, uh, it needs to mine Bitcoin to get a four. It needs to do a lot. It needs to do much more. Um, it's got to kiss the inside of my mouth to, to be a four out of five, at least. I, I hear you with that. Um, it's and that's rating beers. That's rating beers. The... You make a good point. Kiss the inside of my mouth. Um, <clears throat> I went to Dockside Brewery in Milford uh, yesterday. And we've reviewed Dockside. I think it was over the summer. We must have been when you and I went uh, in June of 2021. You talk about kissing the inside of my mouth. Dockside did that. They, I don't know what happened over there. Something changed. I'm not quite sure what it was. That's Dockside Brewery in Milford, Connecticut. Um, again, no free ads, but go out there. Uh, first of all, they are doing a shit ton of construction. And I'm sure you remember anyway, this is a big place to start, yeah. right? They had like tiers of restaurants. They had the, the top with the bar. They had some high tops. They had like, you can call it picnic seating almost. And then they have like a little... You can sort of call it like a screened in porch, like a half level underneath it. And then a shit ton of outdoor seating that turns into basically like, I've been told it turns into a trap at night. I'm too old to have ever experienced that. 
everyone's like, oh, you know, we just turned 21. Like, come down and like, let's go drink some White Claws and shit at Dockside all night. And then, you know, when one o'clock rolls around, we'll get kicked out and and whatever. I, I don't do that anymore. And I know you really don't either. No. Um, we just, we can't. It's not in us anymore. Uh, no. It really sucks. That's a pretty shitty revelation. You can't party like you, you used to, you know, but um takes it out man takes it, it it's it's tough it, is it tough. does so so instead of being able to put down you know five six beers at lunch you know i resorted to three uh eight ounce pours which you know depending on how you slice the depending on how you slice it it's either one or two beers um dockside doxical kiss the inside of my mouth it was a milkshake ipa it was very good it tasted like a sour i thought um it, it's one of those that it tasted like a creamsicle basically right it says they brewed it with oats uh real vanilla some lactose it was basically like ice cream um and then some some fresh oj right on top sort of brewed like a sour like you know you take a sip and you kind of just like pucker your lips a little bit um i thought that was exceptional i thought they did a really good job i've had a lot of creamsicle beers and I'm, i know you've had a I've, I've been with you and i've had creamsicle beers yeah. um that gets a four for me and I'm very happy with Dockside's quality of beer. Uh, I will go back there. They are one that we were catching up before we started here. The food menu, off the charts. Listen, you can make good beer, right? You can make tip-top beer. If you don't at least have a food truck or snacks, though, you go down a little bit. Oh, Even yeah, if it's no, just it, mentally. It, it's, I mean, the way the breweries have evolved over the, the, the past few years, it used to just be a spot where you're hopping around and you're just grabbing a pint here, maybe a bag of chips, catching up with some people. But now what I've noticed, what you've noticed, what we've both noticed, you need to start having the full package where you can still pop around to other places. I mean, that still shouldn't be the elimination of, you know, the collaboration with within breweries or having yourself a day but you do need to have the full, you need to have everything. You need to have right. a dedicated space for activities. You need to have comfortable seating, enough seating. You need food. You need. And it doesn't even need to be yours necessarily. No, no. you just need so like, look at Greenport, you know, they bring in their. No, they have, they have. Well, actually, no, they have their own. Food. They have. That's their right. Own, but that's live, what, yeah. Long live I get that confused. Yeah. Long live brings in, they have like the, the guest kitchen solid gold provisions they bring in yeah usually some and then in the summer they have like the food like high roller lobster has been there yes um, yes so which is hey smart for them because they're just focused on the beer because like one thing i've noticed with greenport specifically is their food menu has been incredible and they do a good job but they have hired a full team like they have an executive yeah. chef who it's like if you want to incorporate the beer somehow like they have like you know, beer battered wings and like the pretzel with the beer cheese. It's like, that's great, but it's yin and yang, you know, it's like the, the food, the food complements the beer, the beer complements the food, but they're not bashing heads. Whereas like other breweries, I see them go wrong because they're focusing too much on the food rather than the beer. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Um, it's an interesting dynamic because you go to a place like Denlow too in Cincinnati kind of got dockside vibes from from both of those you know yeah. driving home i would say so i'm like you know they do pretty good beer and the food is just i mean god almighty a couple of things on this food menu like when i say this food menu is absurd at dockside i mean it's absolutely absurd like i mean you go look at these handheld sandwiches you've got an ahi tuna wrap you've got buffalo chicken you've got sliders Baja shrimp, a burrata sandwich, a mother clucko, which is a chicken sandwich, and then like pizza. There is a full blown pizza with spaghetti and meatballs on it. It's like, what's it called? It's, it's actually no, it's the cutlet. So basically, it's, it's like chicken, cherry peppers, bacon, mozzarella, and then they've got like a little pasta. Like that's that's crazy. They yeah. do an excellent job with food and i think that even subconsciously knocks the beer up maybe you know a couple points um you know i i had a, a wrap i had some fries i had a creamsicle beer 
that's pretty damn good. And I was right by the water. I could have, you know, in the summer, it would, would have been nice. Would have sat outside. Maybe stayed around for a White Claw or two afterwards if I had a responsible ride home. Um, <laughs> four out of five for me for Doxical from Dockside. I also had two really good New England IPAs that are probably both get fours uh, separately. So I was yeah, impressed. I was, I was looking at my untapped from Dockside. I had Feeling Juicy, Squooshy, which was a double, and Fruit Strike, which was the fruit beer. And what were the had- ratings? Four for the Feeling Juicy Hazy IPA, three seven five for the Double, three five for the Fruit the Fruit Stripe Fruit Stripe. See, that's like pretty good. Yeah, and it was on par. Four, I mean, three seven five. Yeah, glo- that's, that's about a good beer globally for Feeling Juicy. Fifteen hundred ratings at three point eight six. Um, Squishy had twelve hundred ratings for three point nine one. And then Fruit Stripe only had 200 ratings for 3.71. Yeah. Hmm. I I really like Dockside. I think there's um, – that's going to be common places, you know, with the good food, the restaurant that also serves beer kind of deal. Um, it's coming. It's coming. Like Dan Hurley says, you better get us now because it's coming. Um, Carpenter. Dan Hurley, the carpenter, baby. That's Rating Beers. Uh, follow us on Untapped. You know where to find us. Let's go to business now. We uh, talk about... Wait, before we get to Adam, before we get to Adam, right. I think, I we'll think we, up. Have to, we have to bring up Elon. It's yeah, the, we, it's we, the Elon we'll segment. Wait, this is a theme. Okay, fine. It, has, we'll it, it has to be just because the last time, it was just the last time we talked about business, we did like a kind of brief... And, uh, yeah yeah we, we we need to keep our eyes on yes and let's do it that was just elon buying 10 percent because he had a few money <laughs> the, cha- the, the tides have turned and the tables have turned with this one because it went from elon buying 10 percent to him being asked to join the board something happened i don't know specifically if like supposedly him buying the 10%, like he didn't file the paperwork correctly for the SEC, which I just call bullshit. I think they were just trying to- I don't know about hard. that. Yeah. I think they were just trying to give him a hard time. It's like Elon is the CEO of two major companies. I think like he understands the SEC quite well. It's um, finance people know a, a tiny bit. Yeah. So then he was asked to join the board. He declined that. And then he said, you know what? Double birds to both of you. I'm just going to buy the whole thing. And- now it's at the point where he submitted a proposal buying the stocks that I believe at like $52, $53 a share, 100%. It's like a $43 billion deal and he'd still have 200 something billion left. Like the guy, is, the guy is clearly liquid. I thought he was tied up in stocks. He's clearly liquid. Um, but now they're, he sent in a proposal to buy all of Twitter and the majority stakeholders are kind of just like, no, you know what? If I don't think we want to sell, we're going to implement a poison pill to dilute your shares. My question is to you, is that like negligence to them? (sighs) It's twofold because it's like, listen, Elon wants to take the company private, make it a haven for, for free speech, you know, less censorship. You know, he already knows how to build companies. This is something that could be, great or not great, depending on how you look at it. But Mm. in terms of the company, you know, when you're on the board and you have stakeholders, it's like your mission is to make other people money. It doesn't really care about like the company mission anymore, you know, just a a generalization. So for them to get 20% over share price and then say, you know what, because we don't like you, we're going to dilute shares that hurts everybody else. Like that's, I don't know, that kind of is sketchy to me where it's like, you know, you could just say no and that's fine. And it kind of just shows like where you lie in your company and, and that can choose how the consumer feels about you. But for you to make a threat saying we have a poison pill that will dilute shares. Mm, yeah. Like that's kind of, that's a suicide mission. I would, I don't know if I, too. my thing is like, I keep thinking about how would I feel if I owned Twitter? Like a guy like Zade. He said he's probably just going to hold on to it for 
the sake of riding it out with everybody else. I get it. There's some merit to that. How would I feel if I owned Twitter and this poison pill came out just to dilute Elon? I'd be real pissed. I'd be really, really mad. Um, you well, know what be, I thought was interesting though? Yeah, you first, and then I'll I was going to say it's, make a different it's, point. You know, for us that we'd probably hold a couple shares of Twitter casually, it'd be crappy because it's like, all right, like I trusted this company. I like the moves after Jack Dorsey left, you know, whatever. Um, I, I This is something that'll be a long hole in my portfolio. I'd be like, wow, that's like kind of crappy. But I'm also looking at it as the people who aren't the smartest investors that, you know, invest what they know and put in a lot of money, maybe a life savings on companies like Twitter. Yeah, well, it's, and again, investing is a gamble. It's a risk. You have to do your own research. You need to make your decisions. But like, there's some people where it's like, I'm going to invest what I know, not the fancy SPACs or the random companies. It's like, I'm investing in the Disney's, the Twitter's, the Facebook. Right, the things Google, you believe in. The, the things you believe use. in where it's like, they, they're doing well, they keep elevating, like that's going to happen. It, like I said, it's like a suicide mission where it's like, they don't care about their own pockets. They're just going to hurt everybody else because they don't want Elon to run the company. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, I am a bit intrigued by the way Elon's working with Jack Dorsey. Uh, Jack Dorsey, former Twitter CEO, obviously, he's still on the board. Fun fact. He's tweeting all this shit about gross negligence from the board and how it's mismanaged and all this crap. I, I think that's interesting, but like, I don't know where that gets Elon, right? Um, my gut tells me right now this is not going to happen. That's just what yeah. I think. I think they're going to introduce the poison pill. He's going to go on a rampage and they're not going to let him invest. And that's it. Or buy, I should say. They're not going to let him buy. And we're going to go back to as though this never happened. That's what I think realistically is going to happen here. I hope I'm wrong, though, for the sake of free speech, because Jesus Christ, we, we only need it. Uh, Seriously. I don't know. I, I'm very intrigued on what could happen with an Elon Musk led uh, Twitter, though. And I think, it's not I mean, going to be this like crazy truth social kind of thing that Trump's doing. Like, this no. is Twitter. People get no. all their shit, sports, news. Like, uh, you and I pretty much only use it for sports, right? But there's people out there that actually get their news on Twitter, which is scary. Like, no, it is. That's really scary if you're just going on Twitter for news. It is. I mean, it's a good way to keep up with things. It's like, I like Twitter where it's like, you can just search something and like any tweet comes up. So it's like, at least you see everything where it's like, you put in like just a keyword and it's like, you can see everybody's tweets. But I think financially though, having Elon control this is, that's a win. Because it's I, like, I do agree. If you've seen how his other companies are, it's like the guy knows strategy. The guy knows how to go the next step like he is a visionary where it's like he's he's afraid to fail but he doesn't so it's twofold it's definitely something where never imagined that would happen like i've been i've been trying to write a blog about it but every week some, every day something changes where it's like i'm trying to wait for like uh, a hold fast on like when i can enter in but it just yeah i the poison pill is the scary part where it's like, wow, that kind of just shows how big brother the world is where it's like, if something they don't want, they're okay to kill a whole mission. Right. That's scary. It's just That's scary, scary stuff. Um, and we'll leave it at that point. At this point in time, poison pill has been put on the table. No, no further progress here. I'm sure there will be something next we'll week. We'll give you an update next sure week. We will be following this until it's dead. Uh, and it may not be for a while. So that'll be maybe just something to keep your eyes out for, folks. Elon Musk and Twitter. What a thought. You asked us last year. <laughs> you tell us last year we'd be talking about Elon Musk buying Twitter. We'd be like, that's that's pretty funny. Who made that up? Yeah. Um. Yeah. And here we are. Only the fun stuff. Um. We're gonna go a lot lighter now. Uh. And a lot less damning we've got adam halpert with us uh from the pangea app um this is another one that this was recorded 
March 3rd? Does that sound right? March 3rd. It was still cold out. Man. And Adam Uh, Alpert joined us. Um, This is the last Founders and Friends, too. I was about to say, this is the last interview we have live from Long Live Beer Works, which is... That's another one. We, we talked to really, man, like five, six entrepreneurs that night. That was fun. Um, let's do that again at some point. But uh, Adam Helper joins us, founder of Pangea app, growing like crazy, talks about, uh, you know, it, it's so hard to make businesses that depend on college kids, right? Uh, college kids, Matching them up with employers, right? Uh, internships, meaningful work opportunities, things of that nature. Uh, had a really nice discussion with Adam about, you know, sort of the genesis, building the app, you know, building, you know, sort of the vision for what Pangea would become. And now they're they're cruising, hiring like crazy, like I mentioned. Um, and, you know, a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline. So let's let Adam tell the story. Here is Adam Alpert from the Pangea app, live from Long Live Beer Works. Yeah. Are we allowed to drink on the yeah. podcast? Is that, okay. Right. We're, this is we're, we're, yeah. we're live. You can swear to something offensive, too. My mom's going to see this. <laughs> no, but we are with Adam Alpert, uh, one of the co-founders of Pangea. You know, we are very happy to have you on. You know, Brown University alumni, a Providence-backed business. Uh, tell us the one-minute e-pitch of what Pangea app is. One, one minute elevator pitch. One no, minute elevator pitch. It's good a minute. I only got one minute. Are you going to time me? No, we're going to lose one minute, but then afterwards, tell us about yourself as well. Got it. Oh, let's see if I can do this. Um, Pangea.app is the largest college freelance platform. We help college students and recent grads find part-time paid remote work. Uh, working with startups, small businesses, emerging brands, doing everything from marketing to design to business operations um, instead of you know flipping patties in the cafeteria. Uh, since launching that platform in 2019, we've expanded to more than 1,800 colleges, and uh, we're about to cross a million dollars transacted on our platform. We are backed by some amazing investors that have raised $3 million a day. Our base right here in Rhode Island, our office is actually at Pawtucket. Uh, so we're, we're, our team is now 10 people, and uh, we're tackling a market with 16 million college students work part-time uh, with the goal of helping them launch freelance careers while they're still in college. That was, a, that was one minute, folks. That was, it was on the dot. It was on the dot. Not, not too bad. backtrack us if you're on the, if you're on whatever video. We have the timestamps. Not too bad. We do, we do have the timestamps. Um, not bad. I give, what's an A? Good. 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 I was missing. I missed the competitive differentiation, um, and I missed IP. I don't know. <laughs> That's all right. But obviously, you know, give for, me a for, for you though, it's like when when was the aha moment that this needs to be started, and what do those early steps look like? Yeah. So I was uh, I was an undergrad. I was a sophomore, and uh, you know, I'd always had a thing for film. I'd always had a thing for making videos. Miles. I was really excited to do this with y'all tonight. And, uh, you know, I was stuck between uh, an on-campus job doing media services, doing a couple of really cool, fun student projects. You know, and like kind of running down these internships that had nothing to do with what I wanted to do or what I was good at, what I was passionate about. And it felt like the, the college job landscape felt very binary. It was this false dichotomy between an unpaid internship and an on-campus job. And it felt like, where is the middle you know, for me as a videographer, I just happened to start buying these opportunities and these projects. I didn't even know it was freelancing. So I didn't know what to call it in the early days, but I just knew there was something there, something fuzzy. And I, I, I felt like there was an opportunity. And I stood outside at the, the Brown University dining hall with 100 surveys at lunchtime with like 10 questions of, hey, do you have a marketable skill that you feel lacks a marketplace where you can provide that? Something very hypothetical. As very raw market research, and I just you know kids streaming out, student athletes streaming out. No one wanted to look at me. I was a short, short now, shorter then. <laughs> and um, you know, like nine out of ten people would totally ignore you. It's kind of demoralizing, you know, putting yourself out there physically. Uh, but you know, every so often I get a sign up, and I stood there until I had a hundred of people fill this thing out. And sure enough, can I, you know, frame the question a certain way? I had like 85 percent of people were like, "Yeah, <laughs> I have that problem." Awful way to do market research. I would have, I could have done a better, better questioning. What you're talking about? I but uh, armed with, you know, my personal experience, knowing that at least one person in the world had this problem, and that, you know, 80, 85 other students around might have that problem. You know, I jumped to uh, the worst possible conclusion, 
which was, let's go build an app. And here you are. There I am. Uh, there is obviously a lot of value in the gig economy these days, right? In a, in a freelance sort of economy. What's the pitch to companies now to kind of get on board? Like, what is a pitchy app to do that nobody else in the market does? And why companies essentially are, why they need to pay to do it now? You know, when you think about Google, Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, all these companies, McKinsey, all of them spend millions of dollars every single year trying to recruit out of these universities. And it's spent, it costs you know, $1,200 to do a career fair. You know, you've got a whole team doing it. You've got a whole structured program. Because when you think about the labor market, right, the labor pool, you've got a big bucket. And every year you've been retiring, moving out to it's kind of a little bit leaky. So you think about like how that bucket gets rebuilt, and there's a tap coming out of universities of all this amazing talent coming into the market, and all these really amazing companies are trying to compete with each other to try to get the best talent. But if you're a small company, a startup, an emerging brand, you don't have that infrastructure to go on and get all the individual campus career centers to approve you. I mean, you could do it through a platform called Handshake, but at the end of the day, you have UCLA, USC, Brown, Harvard, MIT. There's a, there's a career person approving you or denying. I got denied by UCLA. I haven't even, I think I applied for them three years ago and I got my retention. You know, and, and that was actually what caused us to, to pivot in this direction because when we were just getting started, we were like a, a student classifieds, a student Craigslist of sorts, where students were buying and selling French lessons. We had jobs for my students, doing culinary stuff. It was fun, but it wasn't growing. And we were trying to hire students to help us out. And I got rejected by Brown University to post on their job board. And I went there. And, uh, you know, I think for me, I was like, there's all of these. We talk about the Fortune 100, the Fortune 500. Well, how about the Fortune 5 billion? The 5 billion smaller employee companies, you know, that, that could access and leverage this amazing talent pool. Those are the kind of people we're designing for, building for, and helping today. Now, how are you getting your mission and your story out to student workers? It's been 80% word of mouth. So a lot of it's students telling their friends, um, a lot of TikTok. We found a couple videos on TikTok that have gotten us some really amazing reach. And uh, we actually hire and engage our own Pangeans to work with us as growth marketing freelancers to go out there and help us find more people. So, you know, we eat our own dog food, so to speak. You know, one of the most popular ways that companies have been engaging with emerging talent is junior-level marketing talent. You know, you don't have to pay someone $100 an hour to run your Instagram for you, necessarily. Um, some companies, that makes more sense. But for us, you know, you have amazing talent pool, people who are digital natives, who spend all day on social media, they understand what's trending, and they have networks of people meet with, uh, and they have audiences, and they're basically micro-influencers. So we've been using our own products, um, and students generally have been hearing about us from other students. We haven't been able to run a single ad set yet targeting students. So as you scale, obviously, you can make your argument that's not necessarily sustainable, right? So what's the master plan, right? You know, how does PGA expand? How does it become widespread? You know, how do you get into those markets? How do you do it, you know, without necessarily spending all your bank accounts on it, basically? Yeah, well, there's three ways to grow, right? You have marketing-led growth you know, paying for a Snapchat ad or Instagram ad. You've got sales-led growth, which is, you know, you hire a, an SDR to go out there and generate leads, pass it off to a BDR, and then an account exec, you know. Uh, and then you have product-led growth, and I think this is where we're seeing a lot of really exciting stuff happen today, where the product becomes a vehicle uh, for acquiring users. And, 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 and most often this is, you know, some kind of referral incentive. But there's all these other viral growth loops that uh, companies have done at BenPoint, a good example. So, you know, I have our team, we just actually hired a growth marketer this week. I think about those three things on both sides. So, you know, over the next year, we're going to be running a ton of experiments to figure out, hey, what are all the channels that we could possibly conceive to get really high-quality talent, really high-quality clients, and bring them into the, the, the product and then set the product up in a way that they find value in it quickly and retain really highly. So it's a holistic approach. Um, it isn't going to be like a, a you know, one-size-fits-all thing. And, you know, there's been really successful companies that have grown you know, with word of mouth and consumer marketing, and I think that's, you know, that's what you want to strive for, but there's other means that you can experiment with. I'd love to ultimately become, you know, partners with the universities and career centers and, you know, have them do this as part of their staff, where maybe they have a handshake or something for the internships and career fairs, but for all the freshmen, all the sophomores, all the more entrepreneurial students who 
if you want to start their own businesses, find their own clients, APMGA becomes a trusted partner for them to launch, grow their businesses, and manage their client books. Yeah, because a lot of times it's not an internship. You know, it's like, hey, I need 20 hours of work, or I need, I need a photographer, I need something that wouldn't be necessarily identified as an internship, but on the resume they can still put it across the I mean, 50% of the U.S. workforce is contractors. Yeah. Already, and you know, this includes you know general contracts, but most people in the U.S. like they don't work as a traditional W two employee anymore. It's a massive shift in the labor market, and internships, as we think about them, are structured for that old world. So we start thinking about, you know, how do internships look in the twenty first century, and how do we help students get experience, make some money, but help out more companies and increase the number of opportunities? Because, like I mentioned before, there's a hundred, five hundred companies, right, that can run your traditional internship programs. You know, that's a very elite program. Um, 
you mentioned it too. It's like a Rhode Island company getting into the white combinator. I mean, that's almost unheard of. Um, how was that? Take us through that experience. Must have been a few months. I don't know what exactly their timeline is that they take you through their, their pipeline, but you must, have, you must have some stories coming out of YC. I mean, even it being remote, it was nuts. I mean, oh, this was, I didn't realize that this was all remote. It was remote. So, so, it was pre middle COVID. I mean, yeah. we did this in, in a winter, we were in the winter 21 patch. Oh, yeah. So, we got accepted in October, early November of 2020. Um, and then we did it, we did it for, for it was January, and then Demo Day, they culminated this big event where they have 2,500 investors come out to the thing, and you get one minute. I was going to say, the one-minute demo. And your EPH uh, wasn't bad now, so I guess that one was pretty good. I was strong on it from every, yeah, you know, and it's gotten better, I think. Um, I would hope you know, so. But that was, you know, an incredibly high-leverage moment in time. In three months, you get EPH, it's an excuse, it's an excuse to literally end everything else in doing life and just focus. Our whole team lived in a house together, pretty much, on the east side of Providence, and we turned the first floor of our house for all the outstanding guests, the monitors, whiteboard. I mean, you get out of any of these programs what you put in. Why is not going to be successful? I mean, the overall majority of companies have gone through it. I would turn out well. Now they have come outliers like Airbnb and Stripe and OpenSea and Reddit and DoorDash. They've done tremendously well. Being in an ecosystem with other founders who have that level of thinking and talking with, you know, our partner was the first employee at Yahoo. He was there when they were zero. He was there when they went to 70 billion. And he was there when they came down back to 1 billion. Billions is a lot of money, but when you're at 70, it's a long way to fall. You know, and one of the most important things I've learned as a startup founder, and I learned this from Tim Brady, was the importance of keeping a level head through all of the ups and downs of a startup. And I can tell you, since we got into YC, the rate at which the highs have come and the amplitude of lows, and the rate at which the lows and the amplitude of lows have come has increased dramatically. So, you know, having having an advisor and mentor like we have in Tim has been tremendously helpful and the network is incredible. So uh, you know, at the end of the day it's it's on us to make our company successful. Why is not gonna do that for us? But it certainly has given us a shot and it's a shot that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste. Not throwing away a shot, as Hamilton would say, right? Um, Adam, no, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Uh, before we let you go, where can our listeners find Pangea online, interact with your content, and uh, any promotions that you want to give, the floor is yours. Absolutely. So uh, if you're a student, follow us on TikTok. Uh, we're posting engaging content there, also Instagram. Uh, add me on LinkedIn. I'm Adam Alpert. Follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, if you're a company looking to hire, uh, go post a job. It's free. Any company that hires, as a result of listening to this program, we're going to give you a $100 credit on the platform. So you come on, risk-free, we'll give you a $100 refund on your first invoice. So you pay nothing. Uh, so come try it out. If you're suited, you should be making money, gaining experience. If you're not freelancing, if you're not building your own clients, you're falling behind. So you better get on it. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Alpert, Pangea. Nice work, man. Good job. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Right, and best of luck to you as well, Adam. Best of luck. And that was just Adam Alpert, uh, Pangea app, Providence-based, Brown alumni, uh, YC batch. I think it was 2021. I mean, yeah, I, I, that's I, I actually went, cool. I forgot about that. They were in Y Combinator. That's pretty yeah. Sick. It's like when listening back to the interview in the edit, I was like, that's actually. I mean, I don't think we really realized because it was one of the last interviews, and you know, we were socially had a few pints at that point too. But I mean. The, the way he describes that whole process, especially during COVID, was 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 super super cool to see. But that's like no minor accomplishment. That is that is pretty major. Uh, yeah, that's like the lines out the door for shit like that. It's very intense. Like you get it. You're work. You're barely sleeping at YC. Yeah, yeah. But the names that but, came out of it too. It's like that. It's a whole network of you know co-founders and CEOs that went to pretty major things. So. You know, that's definitely a company to keep an eye on. I mean, just off the dome here, Airbnb, Stripe, Instacart. OpenSea. Yeah, DoorDash, Coinbase, OpenSea is a big one. That's top 10. Dropbox was a huge one at the time. Um, there's a lot of shit on this list. So it's pretty cool, you know, having the ability to just call them up. And it's like all software. Let's not delude ourselves. Like it's, it's software apps. Um, yeah. Still, I mean, that's pretty sick um, that he can just 
call up any of those people, basically like Brian Chesky from Airbnb and be like, yo, I'm at the YC. Like, can you help me with this? Um, it's pretty cool. Adam, super interesting guy. Um, we thank him for his time, of course. And obviously wish him pinch and not the, nothing but the best. He's, he's really onto something, uh, backed by, backed by a lot of investment too, which is really cool. Uh, let's go into balls presented by Manscaped. You know, the drill by now it's manscaped.com slash house, or you can use the promo code house for 20% off. Um, what, what, what else can we say that we haven't? I'm struggling to find the words that we haven't given Manscaped at this point. The Lawnmower 4.0 is the best grooming product I've ever owned. Uh, no free ads, but I love the Manscaped oh, Lawnmower 4.0. It's not free ads, but it's not a free ad. <laughs> it's just an ad. Um, just an ad. It is just an ad. Loving the Lawnmower 4.0. Um, I may pull trigger on their boxers soon. I have a pair, they're very comfortable. Yes, that's the only reviews that I've ever heard on the Manscaped boxers. Uh, they support. Um, they're soft, to my knowledge. Um, it's like that microfiber, really good stuff. yeah. Yes, microfiber boxers from Manscaped. I'm a proud owner of the ball deodorant as well. You know, we're, we're getting to summer. And you know that feeling when you just walk outside, it's like June, July, and it's like 90, it's humid, and you're like, oh, God, I'm sweating up a storm, right? Save your goods. Get the Manscaped ball deodorant. Go to manscaped.com slash house. You're going to get 20% off that ball deodorant or anything in a Manscaped store and free shipping. Your balls will thank you later. Go to manscaped.com today. Okay. Uh, week two in the books of baseball. I'm going to come out and say, you know, so it's what have we learned to this point is the question. I'll come out and say mine. I'm not happy about it. Um, the Mets are good. The Mets are a good baseball team. And it goes to show that when you've got an owner that likes to break out the checkbook and he's on a big old FU tour, you can win some mother effing baseball games. And that's it. Mets are seven and three coming into today. They've got really good pitching, even with the ground out. I mean, my God. Yeah. That's my I mean takeaway. Mets are a good baseball team. Yeah, it's like you, you you touched upon it with the money, but finding people that fit the mold too, like Chris Bassett, he had I yeah, think that was a weird one, nine or ten strike. I mean, that's just it. It is it more impressive that the Mets got him, or more disheartening that the A's really did have a whole flurry of very good players and never capitalized. Like if you really think about it, it's like at one point. This team last year had Matt Olson and Matt Chapman, and then three pitchers in Sean Manaya, Chris Bassett, and um, who's a uh, Montas. Montas. So, and those are all guys that were traded for heavy prospects and stuff. They also had um, Marte, right? Uh, which Marte? Starling? I'm pretty sure they had Starling for a hot second. Let's look. You might be. Yeah, they did. Yep. And then they also had Marcana. So the Mets just took three Oakland A's players. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. And they're doing very well on that side. Yeah, I think they are. It's I don't know what I don't know what happened, but yeah, you know the Mets. I'm still. I don't know. I feel like it's going to, it's going to be a long season for everybody. And the fact that they're already hitting some injury woes is kind of concerning, but the Mets are good. I mean, when you have Lindor, like I also forgot that they had Javier Baez last year. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You know, where it's like. That was going to go kill his career away on the Detroit Tigers. It's like they literally lost Javier Baez for Marte, Canna, Scherzer, um, and Bassett. And Adam Adovino and. But if I'm the Mets, I take that. That's yeah. good. Oh yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. So Th- that team objectively got better even without bias. And I, all the Mets fans are like, Oh shit. I wish I had a hobby still. Oh, shut your mouth. Yeah. Shut it. Yeah. So that's yours. The Mets. Yeah. That's, that's what I've learned. This, uh, these first two weeks, I've learned a lot more. But I think that's a big one. Um, what have I learned? Because I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into the Yankees a little bit more in a second. 
I have learned that hmm, I've learned that truthfully, although offense is the most important, you really do need a good bullpen. And that just is, yeah, you know, that's just twofold. And it's, I guess it's more specifically driven to the Yankees, but other teams as well, where, you know, the Dodgers have constructed this bullpen of absolute wagons where their starters are still going distance. I mean, Clayton Kershaw got pulled in a perfect inning and going into the eighth, right? Yeah, it's bullshit. A perfect game going into the eighth. But they have so much depth in their bullpen where he now, okay, so he went eight innings into that game. His next start, no matter how good or bad it is, he probably won't go as far, but that's okay because you have Blake Trinan. Um, you have, I think they have Batances, actually, funny enough. What? Yeah. The Dodgers have. We just looked at their depth chart a couple episodes ago. Why are we blanking? They have Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, Trinan Grotterol, who just threw a, Bruce or Grotterol, he just threw a 101 mile an hour sinker the other day. Yeah. Mind you, uh, like that, the Dodgers. Potances is know, in man. the minors, but um oh, really? He's in the yeah. minors? Mm-hmm. Wow, what the hell? He had a crash and burn. Jeez. But this team is just constructed perfectly. I mean, if you're going down, you know, you're oh, Andrew Heaney. What yeah, the fuck, fuck him though. He's in the rotation. He's a fifth starter, and he the only two starters who have had two starts with over 14 strikeouts and zero earned runs. Andrew Heaney and Nestor Cortez Jr. Jesus Christ. And everyone said, it. Everyone said it when Andrew Heaney left this team because clearly Cashman knew that, you know, he had some potential and promise. He's going to leave this team and go off, and that's what he did. It's Sonny Gray all over again. <laughs> I know. It is. But again, uh, though, Andrew, he's Heaney, not gonna as Sonny Andrew Gray. Heaney, the games he pitched last year is the reason why we are in – we were in the – second wild card at Boston. Not even the Oriole games that we touched before. If Andrew Heaney wins two of those games instead of giving up seven runs and two innings, we're, we're hosting the wild card. So, And if he doesn't dig them into a big hole against the White Sox in the Field of Dreams game too. Exactly. That's just more of a personal vendetta against him. But Yeah. So, But the Dodgers offense, oh, my God. It's like Will Smith, Freddie Freeman, Gavin Lux, Justin Turner, Trey Turner, Chris Taylor, Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, Max Muncy. Yeah, I think I'm taking back what I said about them a couple of weeks ago. When I said, I think the quote, and we can, you know, dig up the audio if we really want to, but I said, I don't think the Dodgers are as good as everyone says they are. In a way, that's true because they might be better now. That's just what yeah. I think after two weeks. I think yeah. they might be actually better better than everyone said they were and i think i'm just an idiot and listen we've seen it in years past where the dodgers are not afraid to sell the farm to get better at the offseason and the here's what you yeah what you said a couple weeks ago was like there's just way too much money invested right now and they're just like they have if they don't win a world series for like the next i would say they're a failure if they don't win two world series in the next five years yeah 100 100 percent because because they like, need to get there. They like this team got better and they lost Scherzer. Yeah. Seeger, Jock Peterson, and AJ Pollock. Did they lose? Yeah. Pollock was like, he was good. He actually was really good. So, like, if you took those names and you're like, yo, your team just lost these four guys, you'd be like, oh my God, we lost 20 games right there but they're going to win 10 more. Right. Yeah. So this lineup, no, that's definitely wrong. Um, I'm looking the 2020 lineup, which is so different. It was, I can't fucking find it. Whatever. Um, it, it was, it was a different lineup. Oh, here we go. It was Will Smith, a catcher, Max Muncie at first, Kike Hernandez at second. Justin Turner at third, Corey Seager at short, and then you have Pollock, Bellinger, and Betts in the outfield. And if you say, wow, this team got better 
but most of these guys are gone or not most of them, but like half of them aren't starting. I, I'd have some questions Kelly, for you. And they call, they lost uh, Kenley Jensen too. Yeah. Jensen, they lost uh and their bullpen was actually like decent back then, but it was like, you had Grotterol, you had Jake McGee who was slinging lefty uh, trying into the Kenley Jansen, but like everybody else, Adam Kolarik, Dylan Floro, Caleb Ferguson, like, okay, fine. They went out and got, they took a page out of the Yankees book. Hate to say it. They did. They said that the bullpen's what's winning the Yankees games because they can't fucking hit. And, you know, their bullpen will come in and lock it just so that judge can, you know, hit a homer or Stanton can hit a clutch homer, both of which, you know, didn't happen a lot, 2020, 2021. But Dodgers are going for it, to your point. I think they, they're just too much tied up that they're going to have to add regardless of what happened. I mean, we say this like they suck. They're eight and two that start the year off. They're, they're setting themselves up pretty nicely. Their pitching looks great. Walker Bueller looks pretty good. Kershaw looks excellent. I don't know what happened to him over the offseason. He looks fantastic. They've got three lefties. Andrew Heaney looks like he was given a gift from God after his dismal year. I think it was 731, his ERA for the Yankees last year. Oh, they're good. They're, they're better than I thought they were. They're better than everyone else thought they were. I did a total 180 on them. They're a good team. And that's the Dodgers. That's what we learned. Long-winded answer of the Dodgers are good for what you've learned and what I've learned, I guess, too. Uh, agonizing. Um, do we want to talk about the Yankees? I mean, they're what? Uh, what the record is, um, shit, is it six and – no, it's not six and five four. And it's five. five and five, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you lose two to the Orioles. You, you take a – Zero zero game to the bottom of the eighth. First of all, Aroldis Chapman looks like he is lost. I will say this now. Um, he does this every year. He starts off, he's like, oh shit, you know, I can't throw a strike. Um, this is a little bit alarming, I will say. Very. You can't be walking in guys with the bases loaded when you are Aroldis Chapman. You can't, you can't be doing it. You cannot. Um, it, I, I mean, I said that. Chapman, to be completely honest, the way other guys have looked, you might as well this early on in the season throw him in the middle of the of the bullpen. I mean, Mike King has been slinging out of the bullpen in high high leverage situations. Mike Maybe King's just been very it good. Out with him. Luizic is obviously you know very solid. Who he's been talked about of being that replacer closer role eventually one day. Uh, if for Chapman's sake, too, who wants to still be a Yankee and is on a contract year, I'm not paying him any money at this point, especially if money's tied up and, you know, they're not going to re-sign Judge, those cheap oh, no bastards. Way. But <laughs> might as well at this point where, I mean, two games were lost because of him. Two of those losses, you know, a combination of reasons, lack of offense, early home runs from starters – but to close out the game, that is your responsibility. To close out the game and win, you blew it twice. Yeah, he's his title is the closer. You'd be seven you and three. Close of, the door. Seven and three instead of five and five. And again, it's still too early for concern. There's 162 games in baseball, but the way that everyone's projecting, you know, the top four teams in the AL East to be all 90 wins plus you need to win these games. There's no, there's no room for error anymore, which, you know, should put a fire on their ass that you need to win every game. You have to, there's too much talent to be a third wildcard team when you, you have an opportunity to be up there. But here's the, like the issue is not, I know we just talked about the pitching. That's not the issue with this team. No, it's the offense. It's hundred percent. The offense. Again, this like, is an offense that sucks when judge and stanton don't hit i'm well, just my, gonna throw it out my biggest gripe right now 10 games in why is boone and i've given boone a lot of heads up credit where you know he's working a complicated like this lineup is complicated the roster he has is complicated because one big name every day has to be on the bench no matter how you yeah look at he it. has he has nine starters basically you know like nine position player starters and eight of them have to like he can only play eight of them i get it i understand i get that and i get that he was dealt a, a tough hand because they didn't improve in areas they needed because now your backup shortstop is glaber torres which wasn't which that wasn't supposed to be the case there is no, no true starting center fielder 
the catching is, you know, it's, you're not going to get massive offense from the catching position like you used to. So I understand that my gripe with Boone right now is the lineup is different every single day. And that shouldn't matter, but clearly it does that guys are moving around the order. They're not comfortable in different hitting positions. You should have your guys that are hammering doubles and home runs, which is your Rizzo, Judge, Stanton, Gallo, and you have your guys that need to put the ball in play every single time. IKF, offense is irrelevant. Congrats on your defense. That is great. The defense has been fantastic. I love the defense. The outfield is all gold glove caliber. The infield's pretty solid. They're turning double plays like no other. On the offensive side, an 86 average IKF, unacceptable. Joey Gallo, you strike out three times a game, unacceptable. Um, yeah, my thing's with him because IKF's improved. He's hitting 271 now. That's that's better. Okay, fine. fine. Yeah. He, he's he needed couple, one yeah. game. I and will again, give he's, him he's a, he's a, a one-month leash. IKF is a get-the-ball-and-play guy. He's not going to be yes. hitting 30 home runs. He's a get-the-ball-and-play guy, which is what the team needs. Joey Gallo, I, he said sucks. It, I said it before. I was like, you are going to be in a perfect position where you're sandwiched between Stanton and Judge. You're going to see pitches like no other. You're not getting the ball in play whatsoever. And again, it's still early, but come on. Josh Donaldson, too. One day he's hot, the next day he's ice cold. Uh, but yeah, it needs yeah. to be consistent where Judge and Stannon and DJ and Rizzo need to be in your lineup every single day, and you find a way to get them in your lineup every single day. I love how Stannon's playing more outfield. That is great. He has, he's been, you know, they're, they're finally using him correctly. But Judge... Judge needs to be there every day. It is too early yes. for this bullshit. It is. Um, yeah, we, we we won't go too much further down the Yankees road, but you're, we make some good points, right? It's like, I don't know what the right answer is. Again, way too early to panic. They'll figure it out, hopefully. Uh, but we should know by like June if this team has some some balls or not, basically. Yeah. Um, we'll do a quick Cy Young and then we'll wrap it up. We've been we got to do basketball too real quick. Oh, shit. Yeah, we do have to do basketball. Yeah, Cy Young first, um, and then we'll just recap some basketball. Um, I don't – I looked at this Cy Young list, and I'm like, fuck, I don't know who's even good anymore. So I'll tell Um, you, the bets that I put in were Walker Buehler and Garrett Cole. Yeah. How are you feeling about Cole? Uh, Not well. I think he'll be fine. I think that, you know, if you look at – if you look at who he's pitched to – if you don't, if you pull out Rafael Devers and Vladimir Vladdy Jr. out of like all of his pitches those past two games, he's actually pitching very well. Yeah, I don't <laughs> disagree. But. but I mean, he's the king of the first thing home run. Yeah. I'm starting to like, I'm not selling on Garrett Cole, but I did not realize how much of a lunatic he is. Like he is. Some, some Zach Ranky shit's rubbing off him. Like, stop at the temper tantrums. I love how you're the tough guy, but you have a Kermit voice, so I really do feel like you'll get your ass kicked. Like, you're no CC Sabathia when it comes to the tough guy act. You are the ace. You are the highest paid pitcher. Like, I get it. But, like, in the first in the, in the the first game, you're bitching about Billy Crystal throwing a pitch. Two yeah, that's pretty like, fucked up. Like, dude, don't, don't say you let up three runs in the first inning because Billy Crystal delayed your start three minutes, okay? Yeah, he like, goes, that presented that. a different challenge. Like, whatever. Yeah, like, stop this shit, okay? So, two more bad starts. I hit the panic button. But, realistically, his numbers aren't terrible. He's still going to get 200-plus strikeouts. He's going to, you know go the distance. It's, it's, it's too early for the starting pitchers. I am happy though, that everyone else on the starting end is looking solid, knock on wood, healthy, thankful Luis Severino. If he can be the guy he was an ace, it's, it's nice to have that Monty, you know what you're going to get for him. He's a solid six inning guy. Nestor Cortez is becoming this like gem where, you know, he's not a one season fluke. The guy can fucking pitch. I wouldn't be surprised if he got Cy Young votes if he's still pitching how he is. Again, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit this conversation. That's for um, another day. <laughs> yeah, we'll revisit that conversation midseason. And, you know, Jameson Tyone, he's another solid five-inning guy. So it, it's, it's okay. It still would have been nice to have one more high-quality starter, but I'm okay with the starters right now. It's more on the offense than the pitching. Yeah, which that's should not be the case. 
Which I, I agree. I agree. Um, my Cy Young, I will go Shane Bieber from the Cleveland Guardians and the AL. I just don't like Dylan Cease. Uh, I don't know that Cole. I can't confidently like throw the chips behind Garrett Cole at this point. Um, hot take NL. Give me Zach Wheeler. I think he's going to get it together. I, I, that's, a, that's a very good pick. It's a very good yeah. pick. I think he'll get it together this year. Um, no, no more analysis than that. I'm just, these are the, this is what I'm throwing the chips behind and we'll see. See what happens here. Uh, quick basketball. Interesting stuff. The week one, I guess you get or game game ones uh, of the playoffs. Uh, Celtics buzzer beater. That was pretty cool. That game, that series is going to be a fucking bloodbath. Yeah, that's going to be nasty. Um, you've got Timberwolves knocking off the Grizzlies. You've got the Heat winning their first game. You've got the Suns winning their first game. Warriors are up two nothing uh it's 1-1 utah and dallas and then the sixers are actually up two nothing who would have thought sixers winning some playoff games here um what we'll do the what do we learn again uh for basketball here so i'll start in that i'll start in that jazz um mavs game because luke was out and jalen brunson had himself a fucking night last night i think it was almost 40 points but what did i learn is that you have a couple knicks executives Worldwide West down there, scouting the game. Could it just be to enjoy some good playoffs? No. I think he's looking at Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, who I think mm-hmm. both realistically could be um, could be Knicks. So I learned that. And then I also learned that the Warriors know how to build a team. Like how crazy is it that they still have Steph, Clay, and Draymond Green? You lose KD a couple of years ago, but then you get two top 10 picks. I mean, Wiseman's out for the year, but uh, Kaminga is obviously very solid. And then just very good role players that have stood out immensely. Andrew Wiggins, uh, Poole, you know, they have a lot of talent where I'm not surprised if they go at all, go all the way. Yeah, I I hear you. I think, oh shit, for me, the Grizzlies are going to be more labored than I thought. It's going to be the Timberwolves are kind of nice. Like when cats fired up, you know, I love Anthony Edwards personally, you know, they're um, I love seeing a rod on the sidelines too. That's what I learned. It's like a rod basketball guy, question mark. Um, I could get around the Timberwolves, but I also do like, I really want to see John Morant have a really long successful NBA career. So it's one of those where it's like, I don't really care who comes out of that, but that might be my team coming out of this. Yeah. Uh, that's NBA playoffs for me, man. Yeah. I, I'm going to be watching Celtics nets for, for the most part, like bloodbath punch. We'll we'll have to give Kyrie his own like episode because like, Jesus Christ, that guy is a a menace. Um, I mean, quick shout outs to uh, Marcus smart, dude, people who bought, who bought stock in Marcus smart defensive player of the year. First guard, (laughs) first guard since Gary Payton to win defensive player of the year, which is like 96. I mean, pretty, uh, that's pretty sick. Yeah. Uh, Crazy shit for Marcus Smart. Uh, NBA playoffs coming up. Baseball coming up. We've got all of it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long, folks. Take it easy.